yeah what do you uh what do you think about this new ashtray it's amazing it's uh huge i like it when you smoke cigars and your neighbors know about it they bring you epic ashtrays like this apparently they also gave us cigar shirts which i guess is like i think my grandpa had like something like that for either cigars or pipes so that you don't get your normal clothes smoky okay hang on a second i gotta correct that because they gave us t-shirts with cigar brands on them. Oh, it wasn't like... Your grandpa had a smoking jacket. Yeah. Which was this red velour... Dang it. Do we still... Did we get that? I gave it back to someone. Ah, oh, shoot. But it was pretty cool, but that's a very different... I mean, they both have the word smoking in them. Yeah, okay. But I thought these were... like very classy. Or... Wasn't it like... Did you say it was red velvet? Well, or yeah, something. it was velour, I think. It's like same idea. Oh. Are you going to be able to cut that? Oh, you don't have a normal cutter. Sure. Yeah, I can do it. All right. Okay. Mm. You haven't been on the podcast for a couple weeks, huh? Yeah, I think we took two weeks off, and then in between there, you had Tim on. Yeah, we definitely took last week off. Yeah, so it's been a while. Happy to be back. Yeah, let me get this. Cigar lit here, first things first. Man, this ashtray is so beautiful and clean. <laughs> it almost feels like a shame to get ash in it, but... Yeah. Hmm. I guess that's its God's God-created purpose. <laughs> well... the heat on in here mm-hmm. which might be a little noisier but I kind of don't feel like being super cold right now Mm-mm. me neither so I'm kind of just like people should deal with it you know <laughs> I wonder how much it really even people notice it I'll bet you no one notices it yeah but I notice it yeah but you're not are you listening back to it and you can hear it? No. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not be cold. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, I guess we can um, run the intro. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. All right, people. Thanks for tuning in. Episode 70. Um, we... Uh, I, I, I've h- had trouble coming up with topics. I don't know why. Mm. Yeah. In you, one sense, it could, feels like you could just talk about anything. We could have people uh, comment. I did. Um, oh. 
Well, not on the comments. Okay, so yeah, first of all, on the YouTube comments, leave a comment if you have a topic. The more specific, the better. But on my Facebook and on Fight for Together's Facebook, mm -hmm. I, I had people comment and I said, hey, what should we talk about? And actually, the comment that, the topic that we're gonna be talking about came from a comment from a friend of mine, a Facebook friend of mine who I've never met, named Ken Blackman. Oh. And the thing he suggested is things I've learned from my children. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I'm like, wow, I don't know this guy at all besides I've read some of his things and I know he's read some of mine. But I'm like, I, I always wonder, like, what is he talking about? Like, what did he see that makes him ask that? Or what's going on in his own life that makes him wonder that? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of interesting or valuable things that could come from trying to answer that question. So let's do it. Okay. The topic today is things that we've learned from our children. I don't know about you, but I have two big ideas for this topic today. Yeah, that's great because I haven't thought about it much. I mean, r lately. Um, Although I think I feel like things could just pop up, but you should run with what you have. Well, so there's like... The obvious answer is like, okay, the kids do things, and then I watch them, and then I pick those things up. And with six kids, our kids are into a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I learn about music from our kids. Mm. I learn about photography. I learn about braiding hair. I learn about fashion and style and celebrities and TV shows and movies and all sorts of things, like just from listening and. Yeah, because they're living in a different world than you and I were living. Oh, you did a ring. You just did a fucking ring. That was cool. Yeah. With your smoke. I like that. Did you do that on purpose? No. Oh. I swear it was a ring. That was cool. I believe you. It's on, it's on video, too. <laughs> they can see it. Um. <laughs> rewind uh they yeah compared to the world you and i were living in in 19 like mid 90s late 90s they live in a very different world so some things might apply <laughs> that you know that we could transfer and then there's things that are just way like i'm not sure how to navigate that but you're doing great navigating that. <laughs> and like, yeah, there's, um, I don't know, specific tech type things where I feel like <clears throat> I'm always asking Dove how yeah. to navigate Instagram yep. as an example. And TikTok, I do not understand TikTok. Mm -mm. I think I understand Instagram, but I don't understand Reels. I understand like a little bit of Reels. But yeah, Dove, if, if you all don't know what the reels are, they're like the one minute videos you can make on Instagram. So they're like TikToks that way. TikToks. Is that like a thing? Anyways. Yeah. Um, then, actually, I'm creating three categories now, I realize, because there's this other category for me, mm -hmm. which is just like 
learning things from the kids that are just like true of all kids. Mm. I would call these not skills, but basically general like attitudes. And I, I think about this specifically. I Sorry, I have to turn the heat off. That For real? That noise is bugging me. Okay, let's compromise. Maybe turn it off for like a bit and then we'll return it on. Well, if you remind me. I probably will. Okay. Um, so I'll start getting cold. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm cold now already, but. Mm. Okay, so then there's this like general attitude thing, which is like, I think I it took me a, a while to figure out because it's specifically in the religious tradition we were raised with. We were raised more to see kids as lacking like they lacked wisdom, mm-hmm. they lacked training, they lacked, of course, like common sense and jobs and shit. <clears throat> but we saw like adults as more evolved humans than kids, and therefore in a way more valuable, although that language was not used. I think it was mm-hmm. like, for example, there was like these phrases like kids should be seen and not heard, which once again, that was like, I feel like that's a phrase from the 50s or 60s that had gone out of style by the time we were parents. But but although people didn't say it, they still practiced it. And the way they practiced it was kids might talk, but their opinions did not matter as much as adults did. Right. Yeah, that's eh, totally right. Yeah. So anyways, my point in saying this is that made it very hard to learn for my kids. But once I started to remove some of those ideas, I started to see kids as like small humans Mm -hmm. and adults are big humans, but kids are super cool. Mm -hmm. Like they have a natural observation. They have a natural curiosity. They have, sorry, they have a natural desire to play. Yeah. They have a natural desire to be compassionate. Yeah. And when you just watch them, and they're not hung up on shit like job titles or uh, who won the Super Bowl or like how many followers someone has on Instagram. They're more honest. They are more true to themselves. I I definitely agree with that. Than adults because we've gotten... Like, by the time you get to be an adult, especially, like, our age, it's, like, you have been, you've gone through some shit that, like, kind of trained you to, like, hide parts of who you are. They're not, like, thinking about, like, posturing. Right. And, like, how to, I don't know. It's just not that advanced. It's kind of, like, what you see is what you get. And I've come to see, like, that is such a valuable and cool thing. And such something to learn from. I mean, if you and I are less in touch with who we are, but there's, I I know from you and I know from myself that there's a value of ours to get more touch with who we really are. So who better than to watch uh, than children um, and how, how they go about life. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, even as a writer, 
<clears throat> I'm like trying to figure out like how do I be honest and get in touch with my whatever my passion and desire because those are the things you write about my observations mm. and it's weird like I could like read a ton of books or I could observe my five-year-old Rainier yeah and he's probably better at it than a lot of the books would suggest mm-hmm. and he doesn't even have to try so I learn like so much just from I don't know it's weird because like I said as we were raised I was taught like adults were more advanced which they certainly are mm-hmm. but that advancement the ability to be aware of more comes with pros and cons. Yeah. It's not just the list of benefits and pros or strengths. Mm-hmm. And it comes with forgetting a whole lot of things. Like even like, I mean, I mentioned this one kind of in passing, but how to play. Kids yeah. are so good at knowing how to ask for what they want and play. Yeah. They have very little sense of obligation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my most um, difficult and yet valuable decisions from the last five years have come trying to rediscover and get back in touch with what I want and basically how to play as an adult, how to do that which just truly brings me pleasure. Hmm. Um, which is, it even sounds weird to like say that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's weird how we lose that. You know, is that a part of the culture we live in or is that like just a part of growing up like developmentally you like lose that play uh desire or or that it's like a a something that should be cultivated um so do you have more to say on on this topic about learning from kids because then i want to switch gears after this i have one thing that came up for me um because I definitely agree with all of your things. And the thing I have is my kids have taught me patience in so many ways, but there's this one way that they've taught me patience, and that is, or that I want to talk about, and that is um, they're each living their own individual lives and their own, they're at their own developmental age, And what I can see or what I have to offer isn't always what I, what's best to like tell them. Like if, if I see something, um, like in my teenager and I'm like, oh, uh, I can see that this, this might be happening. Sometimes it's just better for them to experience it. Or I might actually not even know what they need. And I guess I've just like learned how to just observe and listen and be discerning about they don't always need my advice and they don't um some of the things that it's just good for them to kind of experience and for me to just kind of uh, keep my mouth shut and just like kind of just be there for them um yeah so that's because I think, I think a lot of times I'll have this thing where I'm like, oh, I, I know better than them, right? Because I've lived this 
part of their life. I've already lived, you know, being an 18 year old or whatever. But just because I have doesn't necessarily mean like I have exactly what they need or whatever I see is exactly what they need to hear. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's. So kind of like. I think sometimes we're right about some of those things, mm -hmm. but then in the same breath, we're wrong. Like we have some truth there, like because we've lived longer. But that doesn't mean, like you said, it doesn't mean that it's right for them. And when we push our view on them. Yeah. And maybe actually a better way than, I guess I'm realizing that this isn't really patience. It's like letting them be, just letting them be who they are and like not meddling with who they are or, and like I said, there's like times to like talk to them and stuff, but I've realized there's more times to just let them be. So I'm trying to follow you, but are you tying this into what I learned from my kids? I Yeah, because I'm learning to like let people be. And I think like my kids are my main teachers of that because they're just in my life every day. Okay, so you're getting at what to me is like what I was thinking about as part two of this, which oh, okay. is... This well, always happens well, well, I it, get ahead. Yeah, it's not a big deal, but I guess... What, what I didn't understand about Ken's question was, um, in terms of specificity, is Izzy asking, like, what do you learn from your kids? Like, your kids teach you? Like, they... Like, actually teach you? Yeah. Or, Directly. like, what do you learn from being a parent? Like, mm. and parenting. Oh. And to me, from your kids... Yeah. And that's a far bigger category that I think you're getting into, mm-hmm. which is actually the bigger topic that I wanted to talk about also. Mm-hmm. But because there's, yeah. There's, that's a huge realm. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Cause there's the first part is like, like, oh, Rainier taught me that playing rock paper scissors can be fun although that's not true because i actually don't like being playing rock because <laughs> he cheats too <laughs> like but you know my point is like specific things um or they taught me how beautiful music is because memory plays the piano all the time yeah or that those kinds of things versus like the more meta I, I want to pause for one second mm-hmm. and say <clears throat> with what you just said about music and I've learned about music from our kids. Parents, if you're listening, please do not make fun of your kids' music. Mm. I don't ask people to do shit very often. Normally I'm like, oh, you're in your own place. It's your own journey. I don't know what's best for you, blah, 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 blah. But this is something I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. I believe there is like no quicker way to ostracize if your kids listen to music and a lot of music there's no quicker way to ostracize your kids than making fun of an art that resonates and helps and heals and connects with who they are and if you don't if you can't appreciate it if you don't understand it can I just pose a reason that it's not their problem? It's <coughs> your problem. 
and I use that language lightly. I don't mean it's really your problem, but instead of mocking it and saying this music is stupid, this music is loud, this music is silly, this music is angry, whatever, this music is not talented, maybe instead of declaring these things, could I pose maybe asking a question and saying, what is it that you appreciate about this? What is it that connects with you on on this music? Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've done a good job at this. And this is one of the reasons why I feel like our kids play their music around us mm-hmm. and why we've come to connect with our kids through their music, even though I don't always like it. Yeah. and It, it doesn't always connect with me. I'm just specifying that we're talking about any form of music, but spe- probably the like the most common is like whatever your kids listen to, like the artists, musicians that they listen to. But God, yeah, especially especially with their playing it though. Well, that that's that would even be more so because now they're so, taking yeah. the time to learn the damn stuff. Mm-hmm. That it must be extra valuable to them mm-hmm. if they're yeah for sure yeah. And music yep. is like music is powerful. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm not going to say that you can understand someone by the music they listen to, but you can certainly understand someone by how they react to the music they listen to. If I come alive listening to Tom Petty, mm-hmm. that says something about me. Mm-hmm. And if you make fun of Tom Petty when I'm like in having my moment, I'm going to not talk to you about a lot of shit, mm-hmm. or I'm going to start protecting myself from you. And we pe- yeah. parents do that like all the time. Like... Sometimes you make fun of my music, not my music that I have written. Gosh, I need to like specify. Not that music. Shit, no. you're coming out like right now. Well, I'm just trying to keep it real here, I guess. Or maybe I just have a bone to pick with you. <laughs> but one of my absolute favorite mu- musicians bands are called Sigaros. And Ben calls it sleepy music. And I shouldn't say like you light light make fun of it. It's not like you heavy make fun of it, but you do. Well, I don't like listening to it in the morning. Yeah, because it puts me to sleep. Uh huh. And you play it like loud in the morning. Uh (laughs) So I'll come down. I'll be like, "Well, it's good waking up music. It's time to go to sleep." (laughs) (laughs) But I don't. Yeah, and there's music I've made fun of yours, so this well, goes but both I ways. don't. In the big picture, I I don't think it's bad music. I like that you mm-hmm. listen to it. Yeah, I just don't like to listen to it, and that's probably mm-hmm. not the best way to say it. I can, <laughs> I can see now on this podcast now that you're deciding to call me out. So not only publicly, do we suggest not making fun of your kids' music, maybe if you have a partner. A good friend, not to make fun of their music either. If you have a fellow podcast host, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, that's Point cool. Taken. That's cool. Um, okay, I'm done with my "don't make fun of your kids' music" rant. Um, the biggest way I've learned from my kids, and I, and I have to say also, this is one of those things. Okay. You and I have this disagreement about whether our kids, how we feel about our kids having kids right now. 
Maybe. I, I don't know if I'd call it a disagreement. Okay, but, but you feel like, oh, my, our kids are too young to have kids. Or which I'm is, too young to have grandkids. Okay. <laughs> which, by the way, this is, they're at the age, some of them are when we started having kids. And all I can think of is I am so excited for them to have kids because kids for me was the number one learning and growing um, factor in my life. Mm -hmm. Way more than school, way more than any books. Maybe not more than long-term partnership. I was going to say marriage, but I was like, mm. um, huh? or I'm just, I'm posing it. I can't put that in the same category. I feel like, mm -hmm. man, that's a tough one. Okay. Well, whatever. It's in the top two, mm -hmm. but I actually feel like I probably learned more from kids. Mm, Cause um, that is different from growing, right? Learning. I know learning and growing. Yeah, and hand, I'm actually hand, just but... talking about like sheer information. Okay, yeah, um, that's probably true. Yeah, partnership challenged me, and I did grow a lot from it and learn. But okay, here's here's the thing to answer the question about what did I learn from kids. This is like, this is what I want to talk about. This is the typical thing that happens, but. It took a lot of years to get here and a lot of therapy and shit. <clears throat> um, okay, so let's take a kid. Oh, I need to, hang on. I need to redo the camera. <laughs> take a kid. Any kid. Which kid are you going to take? Any kid? Rainier. Okay, let's take Rainier. He's five, will be six in a couple weeks. Uh, okay. Run with it. So, this this type of example will happen with six kids. It's happened literally a thousand times. Um, something like this. We'll be at the grocery store. Rainier will see a lollipop. Um, he'll say, "Can I have the lollipop?" We'll say, "No, we're not going to buy the lollipop for you." He'll start crying and freak out in the middle of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. I'll get angry at him for causing a scene, embarrassing us, and freaking out in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Okay. Most of our parenting, and for most people, I think, it's like into the story. It's like, okay, kids are a pain in the ass. They freak out when they don't get their lollipop. We make fun of them. We're like, neener, neener, kids are stupid. I mean, we don't say these words, but this is like our attitude about kids. They need kind of to, looking down on yes, them. Yes, we belittle their feelings. Mm -hmm. And to make ourselves feel better as adults, we basically move the fuck on from the situation and never think twice about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, but let me tell you like the, the secret hack that has helped me so much is... I'm going to replay the situation. Rainier wants the lollipop. I say no because I'm not going to give him the lollipop. He starts freaking out and crying. I get upset or embarrassed. Then 
I pause. Okay? Now, this isn't always in the moment. Sometimes it's afterwards. It's on the drive home or whatever. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But I ask this question, why am I not okay with my five-year-old being disappointed and expressing his disappointment in the only way he knows how? Hmm. And inevitably, the answer always, always, always comes back to something like this. Because I'm not okay experiencing certain emotions and expressing them to other people. Yeah. Like, I'm not okay. I was never allowed to be disappointed at that age and express that to someone else and to have someone else say, Hmm. wow, thank you for sharing your feelings and bringing them to the scenario to the situation and telling me about them and allowing me to connect with this part of you instead you're shamed they were pushed down shamed whatever suppressed so that someone else who was bigger didn't have to deal with them because they weren't comfortable with them in themselves when you're comfortable with something in yourself you're comfortable in it with other people you allow it you allow it and And you you will even go a step further you'll like probably um comfort comfort or draw out Mm -hmm. or pursue even and ask like how did how did that feel to and like i mean this is a decade or two ago that i was been processing this kind of stuff so i have to like rewind back to what i was how i learned it but my sponsor in 12 second groups he had to kind of like tell me you know when rainier doesn't get his lollipop and he's five it's easy to be like oh it's a stupid lollipop like get over it okay but if I, at this time, I'm like having clients like Google and Facebook and landing these like $80,000 business deals. Mm-hmm. And I remember losing an $80,000 business deal. And I was like bummed about it. Mm. Like, and imagine if someone was just like, dude, get over it. Mm. It's, it's just money. It's just Google. It's just 80 grand. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? You, and, have, you have enough money. Which is true. I do. But I was like, but there's something about facing disappointment. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the way to sh- yeah, shame. No, totally. Because, like, to the kid, you would say, "Oh, you want a lollipop? I mean, come on! Like, don't you know there's kids in Africa who like don't even get rice and water, or like you had so much candy yesterday? You know those types of comments. Which there's a lot of yeah logical things you can say that all invalidate someone else's experience, and it's so easy to do when people are smaller for some reason. But, okay, so this is the hack. If you use all of these opportunities with kids, the frustrating moments, to examine yourself instead of blame the child or Mm -hmm. sweep it under the rug, Mm -hmm. now you have this amazing ability to exempt, like of a roadmap to all of your insecurities. And insecurities Mm -hmm. are not just a way to shame yourself and to be Mm -hmm. like, buck up, you know. It's actually, it can be a way to care for yourself. Oh, it's a way to care for yourself in ways that you were never cared for. And it's a ways, it's a way for me to grow in strength, wisdom. um, Compassion. Compassion. I was going to say like robustness, but I, I just feel like my philosophy about myself like 10 or 20 years ago 
I spent so much energy like hiding my character flaws from the world, thinking if they knew about them, I was worthless and they would think I was worthless. And I had, it was like this full on full-time job, like hiding all these parts of myself, everything from vulnerabilities and crying to shit, like looking at porn and stealing. I was just like, I can't talk about this. Like if people find out like, yeah, you know, it's the end of me. Yeah. And the more I've just like accepted these things and other people and come to accept these parts of myself as normal and natural and a part of life, mm-hmm. I don't have to hide them and I can love these parts of myself and I can embrace them. And not all of these things are, I don't want to say like they're good or bad, but you know, not all these things are great. Like some of them I wish I didn't do, but being in denial doesn't even help you not do them. Like, you have to accept, yeah. in my experience, you have to accept them first before you can even overcome them if it's something you want to overcome. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say eating. If you binge eat, you have to say, I fucking love food. Mm-hmm. You don't have to brag about it, but you have to admit it. And it's oftentimes in the admission itself that the thing loses its power. But if I'm like, what food? No food. Uh, food sucks. I hate mm-hmm. food. But secretly at night, I'm like pounding Twinkies or mm-hmm. ice cream. Uh, ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey. One of my hypothetically speaking, yeah, so I've, I've heard people like that. <laughs> yeah, so becoming aware of it, accepting it by saying, "Oh, I do this," and then, like, is accepting it like being okay with it? I guess at least to a certain extent, or something. Yeah, well, a lot of times for me, I go. This takes a. This took a lot of work. Okay, it's. I don't think it's intuitive, but once you come to see the pattern, it's like just almost always true. Like, if I'm not okay with Ray near crying at the age of six, it's mm-hmm. probably because I wasn't allowed to cry at the age of six. Mm-hmm. Like, quote unquote, for no good reason. Mm-hmm. So then I can ask this question, well, why wasn't I allowed to cry at the age of six? Should a six-year-old be allowed to cry? Is that, mm-hmm. is that a, what a big boy is? And big boys should have full-fledged vocabularies and be in control of their emotions and not express certain emotions. And I, I find out there's all these like, things I just don't believe anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I go backwards in time and I ask why these beliefs are all just so flimsy. Like, kids shouldn't cry. Kids shouldn't complain. They're so flimsy, and yet they're so ingrained in us. Like, if yeah. you have if you were not allowed to do that as a child, then it's pretty ingrained in you, you know, that uncomfortableness of, like, when you, when you see it in your child, you're like, oh. But I don't think it's impossible to un-ingrain it. <laughs> it's just so much easier to try and shut it down. But I think we should acknowledge as parents, the reason why we're shutting it down is not in a kid's best interest. It's really, and in the long run, this is what's sad. It's not even in our best interest. Yeah. It's Um, like easier easier. at, in the moment. Um, It's easier to not deal with your shit. But then what happens is you have a kid who learns to stuff their feelings, but the feelings don't go away, by the way. The disappointment for the lollipop, it just stays. And... Instead, all these other things come up. 
like resentment towards me. The kid is going to sneak the lollipop. The kid is going to want the lollipop more. The kid is going to fantasize about the lollipop. <clears throat> and eventually the kid's going to get the lollipop and maybe sneak it, steal it, or hide it. And learn, at least over time, uh, not to show certain emotions to to you. Yes. <clears throat> or even themselves. Right. Actually, that's But like true. I said, these things don't go away. So then it's just like you just watch it. It's just like clockwork the kid's gonna have kids and guess what when that kid's five what is that kid gonna say to that kid when they cry in the grocery store i mean store? we're already seeing that with uh just within our own kids because we have older kids and then we have younger kids and when the younger kid cries you know the older kids some of them or all of them are just like can't handle the crying and it's like oh shit it's because we didn't let them cry. Yeah, they're they're repeating the parenting methods that we used on them. Yeah. So, you know, the problem is I think people are going to have a problem with this because this is really hard. And they, they're going to say something like, well, can't I... Have boundaries or... Yeah, can't... What's what, I can't say anything to my kids? And I'm like, that's not the point. I think you can have boundaries, but make it very clear that this is for you, not for them. Like, I can't be around you when you cry because I can't handle it, not because you're not supposed to cry. Dude, who wants to say that? Well, I'm just making a point, I guess. Well, I agree with you 100%. (laughs) I'm just saying most parents don't feel comfortable admitting weakness to kids. Yeah. And I think there's this like unwritten rule that as parents, we need to have it all together. And, and, and every, we tell kids everything we do, like we're doing it for your own good because we care about you and because we love you. Bullshit. Most of what parents do, and there's an incredible um, freedom that comes when we're honest about this. <clears throat> Most of what parents do is for your fucking self, to feel good about yourself for being a good parent. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think so either. But let's just be honest about it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's in the best interest of the kids. Sometimes it's not. Or it can be mixed. Usually it is mixed. (laughs) That's where, man, I I don't know if I... I feel like I've brought this up on this podcast before, but if you've ever, like, heard of that TED Talk or there's a book called The Elephant in the Brain, and um, the guy talks about like the main reasons why people make decisions around religion, education and healthcare. And it's like their decisions around education are not about learning and their decisions around healthcare are not about health. Mm. They're about being accepted by the herd. And there's like statistics and science that he goes into to explain and show why we do what we do. Right. What part of like you want safety and even safety for your children is like be doing what the herd wants you to do. Yeah. So you think you send your kids to school because it's the best place for them to learn? Maybe, but probably not. Mm -hmm. Generally, it's because it's the best way to be socially accepted in our culture. Yeah. Same thing with medicine. You think you go to the ER or get antibiotics or see the doctor because it's what's best for the kid? Mm -hmm. No, we do it because we want to tell the other parents like, I'm a responsible parent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think 
again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, it's pretty normal as humans to want to fit in. But I do think it's better to be, or I think it's helpful, especially even to the kids, if we're more honest about why we're doing what we're doing. Because I feel like kids kind of can figure this shit out. Like, if you say to them, like, I'm, you know, you, you're, I'm doing this for you. I, even if they're not conscious of it, I think they can subconsciously sniff, sniff a lie out. <laughs> At well, least eventually. I don't know. And I think it's best for ourselves. Yeah. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, we can actually learn and grow. Yeah. Like, so this whole, like, lollipop scenario, and I, I kind of want to come up with another example because there's so many that happen. Mm. Um, uh, maybe your kid, like, is having a really hard morning and doesn't want to go to school. And you make them go to school, and they're, like, really upset about that and crying and like you're you're saying you need to go to school because it's for you but maybe actually it's also because you don't want to be shamed by the teacher or the principal or whatever you know you want to look like a good parent which is understandable but calling that what it is again so yeah I think that's a big one. And a lot of our identity as adults was based upon the way that school or money was taught to us as kids. And a lot of times we think, oh, well, those are great lessons. I'm a good person. It got me where I am today. So if it ain't broke, why fix it? But when our kids, like as an example, don't want to go to school and we're willing to, I don't want to say abuse them because that's a strong word but completely overlook their feelings, their mental health, their anxiety. Which doesn't necessarily mean keeping them back from school. It could even just mean you're not willing to talk it through or have them be late for school. Just yeah, so or can... take a day off, whatever. Yeah. I'm not talking about aborting the whole system yeah. like us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you're not willing to take a day off, you you might start to realize, and if you ask why, and you realize you have this education and money has this role in your life that is so, it's so prominent that it overlooks your own mental health and your own feelings and emotions and desire to play and be curious and prioritize relationships. There's a lot, I guarantee you, Whatever fallout your kid is experiencing, you've probably experienced a lot more. Mm -hmm. You've probably suffered a lot more from that mindset, which was taught to you. Mm -hmm. Because it's fucking, we live in a capitalistic society where all school is basically geared for people to get jobs. And jobs are geared for people to... Where humans are for production. Yeah. And they're for a certain kind of production. And your role in society is based upon basically how much income you produce so there that comes with a lot of pressure and cost and a lot of good things get pushed aside for that in our life Hmm. and 
when a kid says they don't want to go to school, you have an opportunity now to re-examine that system for a stronger one. And I'm not saying school is worthless or work is worthless or should be just abolished from our life. But sometimes the role that it has in our life, like some of the, it's weird, but in my life, some of the poorest people I know are the people that value work the most. Mm. Like they think of work of life as a 40 hour work week. They think of their life. They totally define it by the wage they make and the income class that they're in. And, and it's like, I don't know. Like, I just think that there's different ways that we get indoctrinated and these interactions with our kids, it's just like having another chance. And when you have another kid or another opportunity, it's like another chance. And we just have so many chances Mm -hmm. to learn and to learn and to learn that it's almost like we need a template for how to learn from these scenarios. Mm. Because the curriculum's like right there in front of you. And there's something about, I don't know. I smell a book opportunity. <laughs> well, I have the outline written. For, oh, yeah? Yeah. All right, like two weeks ago. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Just have to get these other two or three books out of the way first. <laughs> Speaking of production. Okay, I'm ready for that heat to go back on. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, we have like five or ten minutes left. Is it worth it? Yes. Okay. My opinion. I'll do it for you and mostly because if I don't, I'll get shit from people on the podcast. <laughs> this is me turning the heat up, people. You can Cam- always say you did it. but Cami sympathizers. I wonder if people hear that volume right there. Hmm. I don't know. I hear it. Um, my hands will thank you. They're very cool. Yeah, they are pretty icy. Okay, so I, I hope this wasn't too ethereal, but th- this is the shit that gets me yeah. really turned on. And I, I guess I want to reiterate, to go back to the school scenario, like, you know, it's it's not necessarily that you throw out the school, or it's not like black or white that way. I guess what I'm, what I'm proposing is a more nuanced approach where you take into account school teachers principal and also take into account your child their emotions their needs for that day um you know hell even your emotions your needs for that day matter too um and sometimes sometimes it means going to school sometimes it means hey let's take let's take a day off um our friend who has kids in school they call it a uh mental health day well can we just say these decisions are very complex decisions yeah they involve a lot of variables especially Mm -hmm. like shit talk about covid and stuff with schools now there's so many more variables yeah even whether or not to buy the lollipop at the store, I think is a complicated decision because there's mm-hmm. like, shit, does my kid need candy? Sugar, Like it's health, bad for them. It's bad for teeth, their teeth, but then yeah. it makes them happy and they want it. And if I don't get it for them, they'll just want it more. But if I do get it for them, they'll also want it more. It's like, 
Like you want life to be enjoyable. Yeah, it's all these, it's like not an easy decision. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying these decisions are easy. But what I'm saying is oftentimes there's a survival mechanism that kicks in that the easiest thing to do is to belittle or condescend the other human that we see as threatening. Hmm. Because it threatens our own understanding of ourself and our well-being. And quite often that human is smaller than us, younger than us, in our care, and can't defend themselves, so we get away with it. But, but who's the loser there? It's both parties. So I'm not saying, like, you know, and, and this is what we used to do with a lollipop scenario, what we still do with Rainier. Okay, he wants a lollipop. He starts crying. First of all, we don't tell him to shut up. You know, now if he disrupts people in the grocery store, I see that as those people's problem, not his. Okay? It's not my son's job or daughter's job or kid's job or any human's job to make people around them happy. Okay? If he's not hurting them, just because they're uncomfortable, we don't need to, I mean, we can but I don't think the pros outweigh the cons to tell him I used to like hold kids mouths shut and tell them to be quiet and threaten them and manipulate them and all these things. I don't do that anymore. Now I say, listen, you can express your emotion, but also instead of just crying your brains out, which is one way to process it, I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to say, Hey, was that hard for you? Yeah, I'm sorry. We're not going to buy the sucker now. Um, but maybe we'll get it another time or, you know, I've had things too in my life that I've wanted and I've been disappointed before. And it's really hard, isn't it? Mm. Not trying to belittle the kid's experience, but trying to empathize or relate to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, ironically, quite often that solves it. Yeah. And I, I want to point out something else is um, I think especially if we're, if we have a knee-jerk reaction to, yeah, shut up the kid or make them go to school, you know, whatever the scenario might be, it, I think, I find it helpful for myself to remember to pause and to regulate my own emotions first. Um, because of my, if I'm, if I'm emotionally reacting, you know, it's, it's usually going to be a reaction I'm not, I actually don't want so to pause and you know care for yourself um, if you can of course sometimes you can't but and then just to know like you have time like you can actually like take time to figure this to figure out what the best decision is in that moment yeah I agree um and then the other thing I wanted to say, because I, I feel like this could be discouraging for some people mm. who are like, shit, I got to do this every time my kid asks for a sucker. <laughs> and all, yeah. I, all I'll say is this is a skill and a systematic way of approaching the world just like any other. And mm-hmm. it's possible to learn it and to get better at it and to have it be easier mm-hmm. to a point where it's almost like absolute second nature or even first nature. Yeah. where the kid starts crying 
And instead of thinking about how to shut them up, you instantly empathize, mm-hmm. make the connection, which, like I said, usually stops the crying anyways. Because mm-hmm. that's, I think, what kids want a lot of the time anyways. Yeah. And, and those moments become fewer and far between. Those moments being the things that make me angry as a parent. Because the more you start to accept yourself, if you grew up in a, in a parenting system that was repressive in any way, and I think all parenting systems are in some way. I'm not calling out certain people. So if you're one of those people right now that's listening to this and like, well, that's not me, it's like maybe you're right, but maybe you're also just blind to it. And I would bet my money on the fact that you're blind to it. Mm-hmm. Like this type of trauma... I think impacts all people mm-hmm. in a Western society yeah. where individualism, I mean, it's, it's championed in one sense, but not with children. Yeah. Like, um, and not, and not with systems. Like if you're an individual trying to go against a system, you'll get killed. Good fucking luck. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I feel like this is for everyone, but, um, but the more you start to accept these parts of yourself with kid number one, with kid number two, it gets easier. And year number five, you've accepted that part of yourself. And it just, it doesn't create this emotional trauma and turmoil again. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do all this hard work every single time all over. You don't start over. And then you start to develop new areas um, where, I don't know, the kids like just, I, I used to find myself like, Here's another reason to do this shit. I used to just be like agitated like all the time with kids. And you hear people say like kids are a pain in the ass or I don't like kids because I don't like to go out in public. Yeah. But that more had, I think that more has to do with the older person than. Yeah. What I would say is your problem isn't with the kid. Your problem is with your mindset about what you think kids should be. Because I go out with my kid, and I don't have a problem with them. So what, is my kid an angel and your kid's not? And that's what people say to us. It pisses me off to no end. They say, oh, your kids are so behaved, or your kids are easy. My kids, I mean, this was a big one people said on the Appalachian Trail. They were like, oh, you guys hike 2,000 miles. My kids would be crying in the parking lot. And I'm like, what the fuck? You don't think our kids were crying in the parking lot Mm -hmm. or every damn day? Like, we had a shit ton of tears, mm-hmm. but we we learned to face them. I think because of this mindset here in this podcast, we saw those tears as opportunities for connection and learning and growth, and it's not for everyone. Like, I'm not saying everyone should launch out on the trail because yeah. if you don't know how to handle the tears or even have a good way to sort out, like, so you don't get too depressed or overwhelmed as a parent, it can just be completely overwhelming. And right. I get that. I, I, I'm not trying to say this is easy. Like this is for me to get to this point was um, like eight years of 12 step groups with a sponsor slash mentor. Um, then probably like five years of introspection and journaling after that continually each time my kid would quote unquote act out. And then like f- almost five years of therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And honestly, like I still have social anxiety when I go out with my small kid. Um, it's hard for me. I have less of it, but I, but I can now see that that's not his fault. 
like my social anxiety is mine, like mine to take responsibility, not to take it out on him. And I did for a lot of years, that's not how I operated. Which even that is so huge because if you have social anxiety, okay, mm-hmm. and then you see like when you go out, your kid being loud is like causes you anxiety. So you try and shut the kid up yeah. and we blame the kid. Yeah. It's not addressing your social anxiety at all. Right. It's not fixing it. It's not solving it. It's not getting at the root of it. It's merely getting angry at a symptom. Right. And shutting the symptom up, which creates other long-term effects. Mm-hmm. The second you're able to say, oh, maybe it's not the five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's me. Then, I mean, some people see that as like condemning or hard, but that's so cool because you can ask, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. How do I get better? Yeah. Like, do I have to live with this for all time? Are there ways to deal with this or cope with this or heal from this? Or right. like, does everyone have this? Like, but you can't ask that as long as you're blaming a five-year-old. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Ken. Yeah, that was enlightening. I think Ken lives in Vegas, and I want to meet with him someday. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you. Um, you could leave a comment on our YouTube, uh, this YouTube video, and tell us what you'd like to see future podcasts about mm-hmm. um also to plug the merch we got these two hats here compliance kills and hike your own hike <clears throat> that are both available on the merch store also if you haven't read our book yet 2000 miles well, 2000 miles together story of the largest family to hike the appalachian trail which this book is so good guess who's actually reading it now (laughs) me (laughs) where are you at the chapter one still but i read like there was like a preface and an introduction i read all i told you to skip that stuff well i didn't want to also i have an album and I wanted to hear you talk about oh. my book a little more. Oh. How's the first chapter? I, I'm i enjoying it. I mean, I, I actually think it's valuable that I waited this long. I mean, I know that sounds like a cop-out, but... <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> um, but I've noticed that, because I started reading it, like, maybe right when it came out, like a year ago or so, and... A year and two months ago. Yeah. And I, I just noticed that this time I have like a different perspective on it. Like it's feels newer, like, Oh, I just like that time I think was helpful. So, (laughs) um, anything else about the book? Nope. That's it. Okay. All right. So I also have an album called the real me. Uh, that you can purchase, and I will sign it for you. Or this, your album is available on like Spotify, lots of platforms, yeah. YouTube, Amazon, iTunes, Apple Music. Yeah. Type in Cami K A M I Crawford. 
Yep. I think it's really good. Thank you. I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah. I feel like there's always something I'm supposed to say at the end here, but I always forget what it is, and I can never remember. Hmm. But I don't think it's... Oh, like to like or subscribe or like rate or something? None of that stuff. Okay, cool. But do all that. (laughs) (laughs) None of that, but yes, all of that. Oh, this is what it is. Aha. I remember. Patreon. Oh. Uh, You can tip us $5 for a Starbucks or $10 for a cigar or... uh, um, I have coaching uh, mm. that I offer. Yeah. It's like $100 a session once a month. And the people who have done it have said it's pretty life-changing. Like, Do you have I reviews really enjoy somewhere? it. No, just like these people. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had one, two, three, four clients. This latest client is talking about relationship stuff and running a blackjack team. Mm. Dude, if I, was, if I just offered coaching, and I used to do this for um, – just blackjack for just blackjack i was charging like five thousand dollars for a half day whoa for like that's kind of a niche yeah no one (laughs) knows how to how to offer coaching for blackjack team management yeah um but i does this person have a team or are they just doing it on their own they did but actually after our first session they ended their team because of our talk oh really? and now they're we're just talking about finances and um relationship stuff so they're not doing blackjack anymore. Not right now. Wow. It's not okay. done permanently. Yeah, yeah. The way they are running their team was not, I do not think it was very optimal. So I told them that in our first session. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you specialize in talking to people about? I specialize in helping people get out of ruts and set goals and get specific about um, prioritization in their life. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, mm-hmm. thinking about things outside the box, like ways to get what you want, basically. Mm. So I don't have an agenda with these, or at least I try not to. I, I basically just like listen, and I ask, what, what, do you, what do you want to do? Yeah. And I offer different ideas and questions that challenge people, but I'm not like trying to get you to hike the AT or Mm-mm. run a blackjack team or get married and have six kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think Ben's really good at like what he said, thinking outside the box, getting people out of ruts and challenging people. Like if they want that, like I think you're really good at giving them the next step of, okay, what is next for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish? Or I can't believe I actually get paid for it. I love it so much because like I'm an Enneagram eight yeah, and that's what we do like naturally. And a lot right. of people pisses off because they'll be like, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, well, have you thought about da, da, da? And they're like, shut up. Because they like don't yeah. want to be challenged. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I've learned just like not to say that shit. But then when people are. But if you advertise, I'm a challenger. When people are <laughs> calling me for coaching, they're it's because up. they value changing their life and becoming better at something or changing their mindset. And yeah. I'm like, holy crap, it's on like Donkey Kong. Right. So anyways, that's what I wanted to remember to talk about. And all those links are below. Anything else? I don't think so. Thanks for listening. Uh-oh. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.